Welcome everyone to another episode of the Alex and Mo podcast. And tonight we have Mike Hopper, athletic trainer. Mike, you are an athletic trainer where? Right now. Uh, so I'm the head athletic trainer at Bishop Lynch High School in Dallas, Texas. Oh, Friday Night Lights, big school. So is that a private or public school? So we are the largest co-ed Catholic high school in the state of Texas uh, with uh, roughly 1,000 students and 700 athletes out of those 1,000 students. So um, you could say athletics is kind of important at our school. Wow. Now, the, does your school... Go ahead, Mo. Say it again. I was saying three quarters of the high school population is athletes. So is that where you get the slogan that every athlete deserves an athletic trainer? So I actually came up with that slogan before I moved to Texas. Um, when I came out of college, I was doing some uh, blogging for the concussion blog uh, with Dustin Fink out of central Illinois. And um Part of his blog was was obviously concussions, as the name says, but also some of it was was athletic training advocacy as well. And uh, I came up with that tagline: uh, "Every athlete deserves an athletic trainer." Uh, we we do use that slogan down here. Uh, we take it a step further: "Every athlete deserves an athletic trainer." Every Friar athlete has one. Uh, the Friar, obviously, being our mascot. So. Let's take it back a little bit. I always like to get a little bit of the background um, of all of our guests, kind of see what it took to get to where you are today. So tell me about, you know, you growing up as a kid, like, did you have exposure to sports, athletic training or anything of the sorts? Like what kind of led you down the path of Mike wants to be an athletic trainer? Yeah. So, um, so I was a three-sport varsity athlete in high school, uh, played baseball, basketball, and football at Waterloo High School in Waterloo, Illinois. Um, grew up around a, around high school athletics, was actually having this conversation today with some of my kids at school. Um, I, I've been around high school athletics since I was about four years old. And so um, my dad was a high school coach, coached high school sports for a little over 40 years. So, you know, my entire life and then some obviously. And, um, you know, actually out of high school. So I was in seventh grade when, um, the twin towers and the Pentagon and, and the, the field in Pennsylvania were all hit with the terrorist attacks on September 11th. And really from that point forward, I wanted to go into the military. Um, I wanted to go special ops, you know, army Rangers, uh, go to the United States military Academy at West point, you know, the whole nine yards, nothing to do with athletics, right. Nothing to do with sports medicine. Um, but, um, but indirectly it does. And we can hit on that topic yeah. in a little bit. So, uh, <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, I, I wanted to go that route, but, um, like I said, I played high school sports and I took, uh, calculus in, in high school, uh, did not succeed at calculus, and um, decided that, you know, maybe West Point wasn't going to be the route for me because there's a lot of calculus at the service academies. And I got to know our, our athletic trainer at the high school a little bit, um, although he was a very part-time athletic trainer. And I think that's another reason that, I, that I've, um, you know, become so passionate with it is that he wasn't around a lot for us. And I wanted to change that um, and take that a different direction, right? So um, so that's that's where I was out of high school. I ended up going to Southeast Missouri State University in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and have a bachelor's degree in athletic training. Um, and then I have a master's degree from the Uni University of South Florida, uh, Morrisani College of Medicine. Go Bulls. Um, and I have, a, I have a master's degree in pediatric sports medicine. And um, after I finished that master's degree, I was I was living at home back in Southern Illinois. I was um, working at a PT clinic and I finished my master's degree and said, it's time to get out of here. And, um, you know, things fell the way that they needed to fall. And, and um, I met people at our national convention that summer that uh, landed me an interview and. 
landed me in Dallas, Texas, which I'd never been to Texas before. Um, and here we are nearly nine years later. And, you know, the, as they say, the rest is history. So that program that you're at right now, did you did you start that from the ground or was it established when you got there? So uh, my predecessor had been at BL for four years. Her predecessor had been there for four years. Um, her predecessor was the first athletic trainer. So that would put us around, what, 2006, Nine. right? And then uh, when, when they would have gotten their first full-time athletic trainer, um, like I said, I came in in 2014 and I've been there ever since. And, um, you know, we've taken what was here and made it our own and, and, and really grown it into something that um, you wouldn't have expected in 2006, 2007, I would say. You know, um, we're right, right now we have two full time athletic trainers and we are constantly trying to expand that as, as you can imagine with the uh, number of athletes that we have. And, um, we have, uh, roughly 30 sports. So, um, we have a lot of games on our campus and a lot to keep us very, very busy. What has well, been, your... go ahead, Alex. What, what has been your, I guess, relationship with the administration at the program? You know, obviously you having, the background that you do being a, a big proponent for athletic training services that, you know, every athlete should have an athletic trainer that no matter what level they're at, you know, at minimum, every high school needs to have an athletic trainer. You know, that's been something that I've seen you say on Twitter and other stuff. So what has your relationship been with your administration in regards to that? Yeah. I mean, our, um, you know, our, our administration has always been very supportive. Um, didn't always feel that way. Right. I mean, I, I think that's normal. Um, but I think that the, um, the results speak for themselves with that. Um, you know, as I said, at the end of March with March being national athletic training month, you know, uh, developing a good sports medicine program costs money, right? You can do it fairly inexpensively but you could do it poorly. Um, and, and we don't find that acceptable. And so doing it the right way costs money. Um, and I didn't have all the passion in the world. I did. And I, and I was at a school that had, you know, no interest in, in funding it. So I left. Right. Um, and so for me to be here for nine years and, you know, we're looking at growing and, and doing different things. Our administration, the relationship is, is awesome. Um, you know, they understand the value, they understand the need, um, and, and they understand the safety, you know, expectations that that exist. And, you know, I say it all the time, we're not other schools. Um, so when other schools do this or other schools do that, um, that aren't living up to best practices or aren't, aren't, um, aren't you know, providing the highest level of care, that's not acceptable to us, whether that's from from the sports medicine staff or whether that's from the athletic administration or from our school administration. You know, we hold ourselves to a, to a high standard. And and in order to do so, like I said, you have to fund that and you have to support that. And we have pretty good support in, in that regard. Does being at a private school, I'm assuming facilitates that to to an extent i think i think i mean i think to an extent um you know down here in texas a lot of your public schools also have good resources um right now uh high school athletic training is growing you you don't necessarily see that in social media if you you know if, if you read the social media um but the reality is it's growing and there are schools adding second full-time athletic trainers when they only had one schools, adding a third full-time athletic trainer when they had two. Um, a lot of your public schools are starting to add athletic trainers at the middle school level. And so, you know, it's no longer just about high school athletics, but what about those sixth, seventh and eighth graders as well? 
And like I said, you're starting to see more and more schools uh, who are addressing that. Awesome. Well, you, you see a lot of uh, parents and even uh, physical therapists complaining now about the increase in youth injuries. And there has been an increased number of discussion on how to reduce or eliminate. I don't think we could totally eliminate it. Um, what's your take as an athletic trainer on the increased number of youth injuries in sports now? I, I just think that we... We have started athletics so early. Uh, we've started sports specialization so early. And, um, you know, our strength coach and I have this conversation on a regular basis. We don't spend enough time training for our sport. We spend too much time playing our sport, right? Uh, we have kids at the high school level here who, you know, they'll go play four, five, six, seven games in a weekend, whether it's club volleyball, club basketball, club soccer, whatever it is. But then when we tell them to go to the weight room on Monday or Tuesday or Thursday, well, I'm too tired and I can't do that. Well, we've got to build that strength, right? And we've got to build that. Um, the strength conditioning component is a, is a huge thing that we're missing at a lot of places that, and, and even at a place like us, we have two full-time strength conditioning coaches um, as well as our two full-time athletic trainers. Um, but, you know, just like I say, I can't treat the kid that doesn't walk in my door. They can't make a kid stronger if that kid doesn't walk into the weight room. Right. And so um, I think you're going to see a lot change with that in the next few years. I think it has to because athletes are are showing up to college broken and they're showing up to the pro game broken. Um, Mark Cuban said a few years ago, you know, he goes, there's a couple of these players we simply can't draft in the NBA draft because they're already broken. So why, why as an owner of an NBA team, am I going to go spend millions of dollars on this player for them to sit on the bench and be hurt all the time? You know, and, and at some point, some of that has to filter down. Um, I don't know when it happens, but I wish it would hurry up. <laughs> Well, as a as a former athlete, I definitely hated stretching before um, I practiced. Um, I could even run the Allen Iverson line practice. What's practice? But um, we had coaches that were adamant that, hey, you guys have to stretch. You guys have to warm up, stretch before and after practice. Uh, when I, I never really lifted weights until I got to college and started playing uh, college soccer. I didn't even know that we were had designated days to go into the weight room to, to lift. I was like, I didn't really want to bulk up, but it helped. Um, yes, I did have injuries and that was my first encounter with an athletic trainer in college. Um, and, you know, I was almost tempted to get into athletic training, but unfortunately the college didn't offer that program. So I just had to do the exercise science. But if program started making it mandatory that athletes do participate in strength and conditioning in nutrition programs, then you will have reduced injuries um, when you go later into college and in the pros and you won't end up with a, God forbid, Zion, what's his name, Zion um, Williams? From your, from your dookies? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he had to go there. <laughs> you brought him up. You brought him up. <laughs> um, Listen, every Duke basketball player oh goes to the NBA broken. That's who Mike's <laughs> talking about. <laughs> they go to the NBA broken. It started way back with Grant Hill. Oh, gosh. I, I opened a kind of worms and I might. <laughs> Listen, I got no room to talk. My Tarm Heels went from championship to like complete butt. So I don't got room to talk. But, anyways, North um, Carolina is all, all of a sudden becoming a football school or something. Yeah, sure you know, like <laughs> you start drafting all these guys that play in the NFL. But, but yes, so back, back to that. Can <laughs> you guys start making it mandatory for um, athletes, youth athletes, to? have a designated strength and conditioning program, make sure they have the right nutritionist. 
help people to follow the LeBron James model. I mean, he is in his 20th season in the NBA. And unlike Anthony Davis, who didn't go to Duke, thank you, um, he has preserved his injuries. Yeah, but he also sits out like three quarters of the games. Oh, so gosh. Like, Here we go. <laughs> I mean, we can go back and forth on that. Like, this is what Mo and I do best. But, but, but along those lines, do, do you guys have – because I remember, like, when I went to high school – I went to high school in Miami – my high school athletic trainer, we had a full-time athletic trainer, and then I think we had like two, um, is now the head trainer, I think oversees the whole program at the University of Miami, Vinny, Vinny. Scavell. Yeah. yeah. Vinny was my high school uh, athletic trainer. Vinny is actually who put me on to physical therapy because I was always oh, wow. in the training room. Um, you know, I played soccer. And I was always in the training room, hanging out. I like, you know, I had a conversation with him and I, I told him, I was like, Vinny, I want to do this. Like, I want to work with athletes. I love playing. And he was like, look, man, I love what I do, but this is a grind. You know, look at physical therapy where you can still work with athletes. You can still do this stuff and you're just not out here killing yourself. Um, you know, and, and I respected Vinny for that. Uh, and that's how I ended up, you know, going the physical therapy route. I ended up going to Florida state looking back now, I wish I would have done the athletic training aside from the fact that it would just been cool as hell to be on the field with the football team and do all that stuff, but just those experiences. Um, but in high school, like he indirectly, I mean, there was never an official class, but like we got to learn from him Mm -hmm. is, do you guys have something in place at your school? where either you teach formally, informally, or or any athlete or student, well, I'm going to say athlete since three-fourths of the population is an athlete, uh, <laughs> they have the opportunity to kind of learn as they go? Yeah, so I teach, uh, I actually do teach a sports medicine class um, as a semester-long class, and um, uh, we offer it both semesters. So I teach, you know, one class period a day. Um, we have a block schedule, so it's every other day that I teach. Um, and, um, I've had one student who I believe is in PT school at the moment. Um, two former students who are now nurses. Um, I haven't had anybody go to school to become an athletic trainer yet. Um, (laughs) surprisingly, or, or maybe they, they see what I do and go, yeah, I'm not going that route. Um, (laughs) that's what Vinny told me. Like Vinny was like, (laughs) um, and then I have, um, we also have a, it's called a student aid program. So basically they act as, as, you know, um, assistants. Yeah, like, like I, I call it like, like a manager, right? You think about team manager for the, for the basketball yeah. team or whatever. That's their role with us. Right. We, and, we, and so, we had that as well at my high school. I mean, cause um, like we would travel and they would come with us. Right. And so I had one girl take my sports medicine class as a freshman and she's now at uh, the university of Texas um studying some sort of healthcare related field i don't know exactly which uh she originally wanted to go to vet school and become a veterinarian um now she's going into sports medicine of some of some fashion right you're right um i have another student from our student aid program who um really fascinating um started raising uh chickens Right here in the city, in, in Richardson, which is a suburb of Dallas, uh, started raising chickens for 4-H and and then moved into uh, raising longhorn cattle. So we're talking big animals, right? In the city? Well, that wasn't in the city. <laughs> that wasn't in the city. Um, <laughs> but uh, she started showing those and, and traveling you know, throughout the region doing that. And she's now at Oklahoma State studying. Uh, she's in their veterinarian program, and she wants to become a veterinarian, working with big animals. Um, you know, and it's a it's a fascinating story for us because she couldn't participate in athletics um, due to some some medical issues and whatnot. And so they they found 4-H as a way for her to compete, right? Without without physically competing, and so she has some physical impairments 
Um, but when you see her with her longhorn cattle, none of those exist, right? And she's not afraid of that thing. And these things are big animals. And and so um, it's, it's really been a, a fun journey with some of them. Like I said, she's going to veterinarian school. What do I know about animals? Nothing, right? Um, but for her to be able to spend time with us and, and, you know, I mean, we had her for four years and, and it was just a, a growing experience for all of us, you know? Um, but yeah, so, I mean, we offer these programs for them. Um, some of the things that we do in, in our sports medicine class, I introduce them to other healthcare fields. You know, I'm not trying to make them all athletic trainers. Um, uh, so we do a health professions project and I let them choose, um, a lot of them do physical therapy. Some of them do nursing, things like that. And, and I've heard a lot of kids say that they want to go to PT school, um, you know, because they want to help people. And, and, you know, our society, we seem very selfish, but at the end of the day, I think a lot of our society really does truly want to help people in some form or fashion. Um, we just want to help ourselves more sometimes. <laughs> That's true, but you're you're plant you're planting the seed, Mike. So keep doing that. Um, and uh, the sports chapter of the APTA—it's pretty large, right, Alex? Sports orthopedics. Yeah. Um, I think it's the largest, if I'm not mistaken. So um, I want to piggyback a bit because you said you worked for a PT clinic, right? I did. How was that experience? Being athletic trainer working for in a PT clinic. So um, my job was really three parts. Um, I ran a fitness center as a part of that job. I helped in physical therapy as a as a um, tech high level high level skilled tech. Right? Um, yeah, you got to be careful with that. I know, bro. <laughs> I I know. No, uh, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I'm I'm just amazed at the restrictions that. Um, the license has because here it is that you have somebody who has a bachelor's or master's is skilled with handling sports injuries and we have to classify them as a uh, highly skilled tech that's just my pet peeve but again i might be stepping on some toes here so i am gonna pull back <laughs> um and, and and then you know and then the the third component of my job was to um do high school outreach and and be on the sidelines and and in the athletic training room at, at local high schools. Um, I was at two different high schools in that in that three and a half year period. So I, I worked for the clinic for seven years all through um, both my bachelor's and my master's degree. Excuse me. Um, throughout my bachelor's degree, obviously it was part-time. It was when I was available to work. Um, but uh, then I went full-time. And, you know, I mean, I, I learned a lot uh, in, that, in that environment. Um, one of the things I learned was that that's not where I wanted to be the rest of my career. Right. Um, but, but also, you know, in, in that job, I had to be a business person and I had to be a salesperson. And at the end of the day, what I was selling wasn't what I wanted to sell. And so I wasn't very good at it. You know, um, I came down here and, and I sell student healthcare here, right. I, I sell athlete safety. And I have a lot of people who are willing to buy that. So guess what? I can do that. But when I was trying to sell fitness memberships and when I was trying to sell um, PT referrals, I wasn't very good at that. And, um, you know, that was kind of where I was I was stuck um, in that in that role. But like I said, I mean, I enjoyed my time in the clinic. I enjoyed the interaction with the PTs and the PTAs and, you know, working with the patients. We worked with patients of, of all ages. Um, you know, basically, I mean, I would say we, we essentially worked with patients from, I don't know, fourth, fifth grade up um, until 90 something years old. Right. Um, if they could ambulate themselves into the, into the clinic, um, you know, even using a walker, using crutches, whatever it might be, you know, we were treating them, right? And so I got to experience working with patients of, of all ages, with 
all sorts of comorbidities and, and um, you know, all sorts of injuries. Obviously I'm not treating total knees here today, right? I'm treating ACLs and, and I'm treating other knee injuries, but I'm not, I'm not treating total joints. Um, you know, but I also enjoy just listening to, to those patients that were in their fifties and sixties and seventies, you know? Um, so I, like I said, I didn't want to be there the rest of my career, but I enjoyed being a part of that at the time. I just knew that wasn't, that wasn't for me long-term. Well, you, you, you knew, you are understanding that you are thriving, um, mm -hmm. but you made a very interesting point, And I think a lot of PTs or people in healthcare generally have a problem selling or marketing. What is it that they do but you said when you moved to bishop lynch you were selling safety and health but it's the same thing we do in in the clinic or even alex and i we do in the homes we just have mm -hmm. to convince people that we are there to help them to be better or if they want to be better so it's it's the same thing but there was also something else that you said earlier that was very valuable you attended a conference and in networking that gave you the opportunity to end up at Bishop Lynch. How important do you think attending conferences and networking is to upward mobility in your career? Oh, I, I think it's everything. Um, you know, I, I attend to anywhere between two and four to five conferences a year um you know at the at the state regional or or national level um because I, I think it's just that important that we that we show up you know um from a from a networking perspective with other professionals um uh, but also with our vendors you know i i can't tell you the amount of of stuff that we've been able to get from vendors at a at a discount or you know sometimes hey we want you to try this, so we're sending it to you, right? And that and that all comes out of that networking, and you know, and obviously out of social media. Um, you know, there's there's been a handful of products that we've been given and, and given the go destroy this thing, go go try this, and tell us what you think about it on social media, and that's all we're asking you to do, right? Um, and and so. Attending conferences, I think, are, are really super important. Um, obviously, with COVID-19, we, we all, um, you know, quickly converted to doing all these webinars and, and online training and all that. And, and I think it's great that we can get some of that. But I think it's also really important that we are in person, um, whether it's in a lecture or, you know, in, in our field, getting our hands on. And, and so doing hands-on training of some sort. I think is, is uh, so critical. And um, I, I think that there are some PT, some States that require that for PTs, athletic trainers. We really don't, we go online and do all the online training we want. Um, and, and I think that's a mistake personally. Um, but I talk about it all the time. You know, this profession is not about who, you know, I'm sorry. It's not about what, you know, it's who, you know, who, you know, gets you the job. What you know allows you to keep the job. So because because if you don't know how to do it, you're not going to stay very long. So you bring up an interesting point. Um, I, you know, I think I've seen interactions between you and and other individuals on social media, uh, kind of along those points, right? Because it, the argument has been made that it's like you said, it's who you know. So you have all younger uh, professionals finishing school. You've got minorities, females, you know, and, and other things like that. Is that model sustainable for the profession? And is it good for the profession, in your opinion? Um, well, I, I think that, I think if we go back to the statement that I just made, it can be good for the profession. Um, you know, again, who, you know, is going to get you openings, right? It's going to get you places. Um, but then you have to be able to demonstrate it. 
So for somebody to keep a job just because they know somebody, no, that's not good for the profession and that, and that's not sustainable. Um, but if that person's qualified to do it and, it, and is able to, to perform and get the job done, I don't, I don't see it being a, a huge issue. Um, you know, it, our workforce requires a, a very diverse workforce. Um, you know, Rick Burkholder, for example, the head athletic trainer at the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, um, I guess they've had a little bit of success, right? Um, but if you look at his staff, and, and he'll tell you this, if you look at his staff, um, you know, he's got, he's got half male, half female staff, um, multiple minorities, right? Um, you know, he's got, he's got a lot of different variety and, and he considers that important because certain players require a certain task or they, they require a certain personality to do the job. Right. And I can't remember the player, um, but he, he talked about it on a, um, I think it was like a TV episode that, that the Chiefs did last year um, or something. And he talked about how he, when he first got to Kansas City, there was a player that he was trying to treat himself and they were just getting nowhere, right? And, and so he finally stepped back and goes, you know what? This player needs to see this athletic trainer that's on our staff. And he said the player thrived from that. And, and all of a sudden the player got better. The player got stronger. The player stayed healthier, right? Because, because patient care all, all surrounds trust. And, and so being, um, you know, a, a personality or a, a figure that somebody can, can turn to, um, when you're building a staff like that, and if you can have that diversity, I think goes a long way in, in reaching all of those different athletes and those different athlete needs. Um, you know, uh, that's why you see a lot of schools when they start hiring multiple athletic trainers, you know, you can't legally say it right. But having a male athletic trainer and a female athletic trainer at the high school level uh, does wonders because there are some things that, you know, that female athlete doesn't want to tell a male athletic trainer and that, and that's okay. Um, you know, and so if you have that other resource available, um, that might be more successful that way. Uh, well, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that having the diversity is, it helps, which is going to lead me into, uh, we had a past guest on this podcast and the question was pitched on, on Twitter. And your mantra is that every athlete deserves an athletic trainer. So even athletes that are identified as LGBTQIA+, uh, including transgender athletes, they do deserve an athletic trainer. So that's the stance that Alex and I take, and we believe you have stated that that's the, your take as well, too. Um, <clears throat> representation does matter. But again, it goes back to who you know. So if the person that's in charge of hiring doesn't know somebody like Alex who is Hispanic or somebody like me who is black and female and also gay. How are we going to be in a position to get that job, even though we might be skilled to keep mm -hmm. the job? Yeah, no. And I, and I think that, um, I, I think that's a, obviously a, a dilemma that the profession faces um, <laughs> and, and not just athletic training, but, but in general, um, you know, but, but I think that that's where, um, you know, that networking comes in, comes into play, um, as well. Um, you know, is, is that going out and, and meeting people is, you know, I, I try not to judge anybody. I, I want to talk to you. Right. And, and at a conference, I want to know who you are. Um, you know, I might form an opinion later on for one reason or another. Let's, let's be realistic. Uh, we all do that. Um, but you know, it's, 
it, it all comes down to networking. And, and I think, you know, getting out and, and connecting with people in a variety of ways, um, you know, and, and it's fascinating to me. And I, I don't know why it is necessarily. Um, I, I learn new things about people all the time that, that sometimes catch me by surprise. Right. Um, you know, and I, and I, I don't know if I'm missing something, right. Or if it's just, I never saw that because whatever reason, right. Um, so I, I think I'm always learning who new people are and, and figuring things out that, that catch me by surprise sometimes for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. I mean, yes. You, you made a good point. Point. Yeah. You, you made a good point earlier about, you know, the diversity and specifically the chiefs, you know, as we know in the Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes had to deal with the ankle afterwards. He came out and, and publicly thanked uh, one of the female uh, athletic trainers on the Kansas city Chiefs staff uh, as you know, being the, the key part to allowing him to, to play and succeed in mm -hmm. the Super Bowl the way that he did. Um, you know, the hope is that as more of the professionals, the NFLs, the NBAs start to incorporate this into their sports medicine teams, that it kind of trickles down into, into the high school level and, and beyond. Um, how, how, important do you feel it is that it makes it down right because i feel like the the trouble is still trying to get every high school to have an athletic trainer right now how much more difficult is it to like okay now we need to not only do we need to get the the athletic trainer in every high school but we got to get the diversity and stuff like that you know how how big of a challenge is that do you feel well, I, I think that you actually have the reverse taking place. Um, you know, we're working our way up, right? I think I think they say now that there's something like 45 females in the National Football League. Um, you know, eight, nine years ago, that number was less than 10 and probably less than that, right? Um, and so that's grown. Uh, we saw... Um, uh, Sue Falsone, Falsoni, sorry, I, I don't remember exactly how to say her last name, um, became the first head athletic trainer of the, uh, in Major League Baseball when she became the head athletic trainer for the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers a few years ago. She's a um, PTATC. She is. She is. And I'm, I am, I've been reading her book, um, the training and performance, mm -hmm. you know, back and forth, whatever. I can't remember the title. Um, but, but when she, she, you know, she wrote that when she was with, um, uh, Exos, um, you know, you're seeing more and more, I think the NBA has a handful of, uh, females. I think there's at least one, maybe two female head athletic trainers in the NBA. Now I, I don't know that for sure, because I'll be honest, I don't watch the NBA. Um, I know wait, LeBron, wait, 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 wait. let's, let's pause, let's pause. <laughs> this is the same guy that tells me watching soccer is like watching paint dry, but he's a huge baseball fan. Alex, I almost fell asleep watching the, should I say this on our podcast? The National <laughs> Orioles play the Beltway Classic after the well, first it, inning. <laughs> well, okay. Okay. So, so you're talking, you're talking the Orioles and Nationals. I'm talking baseball. There's a difference. It, no, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Look, ba ba oh baseball, baseball is trying to catch up. You know, they got all these rules now to make the game fast. Like, you can get through a whole oh, nine minutes in like two hours. Um, <laughs> you know, but, you know, it's funny that you mentioned basketball because, like, I watched my first game this year yesterday. And it was the game the seven. First, it was a heat Knicks. And, oh, that was a good the, game, though. The, it was a good game. But the reason that I watched it is growing up, I used to watch way more basketball. And I'm a huge Knicks fan in Miami. So, like, this was kind of like nostalgia from the Alonzo Mourning and Jeff Van Gundy handing, hanging on for dear life to Alonzo Mourning's leg. 
uh, you know, those kind of battles. So it was kind of like, oh man, I need to watch this. This is like my childhood again. <laughs> but yeah, like it, it's 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 hard, you know. Now sports has changed. I feel like from when we were all younger to what it is now, with the exception of football, I don't think that that ever necessarily changes. That passion is is there. At least it is for me. Uh, Which football but, are you talking about? Uh, American football, because <laughs> because you know, like football, <laughs> soccer, that's still on the. Everybody wants to talk about world champions, right? But the game <laughs> is played in the United States. You get the okay. World Cup, you play teams from all over the world, but you know, world champions, no, you play the U.S. champions. Maybe you can say North American champions because Canada's involved. Yeah. yeah, but you're still excluding Mexico, so be careful there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah anyways, back to your point about <laughs> athletic yeah. trainers and basketball. Athletic trainers and basketball. <laughs> you know, like, like I said, I haven't watched the NBA, um, and I'm going to date myself a little bit here, um, but I haven't really watched the NBA since Michael Jordan retired from the Bulls the first time. Um, <laughs> you didn't even watch Kobe. Uh, I mean, you know, if, if it was on, I, I mean, I would watch it, but I wouldn't necessarily turn it on, right? I got um, you. I got you. Know, you. And, and and today, um, as a high school athletic trainer, I don't really watch a lot of sports. Um, I watched the first half of the Super Bowl this year, um, at our school nurse's house with her family. Um, you know, I I watched some of the college football playoffs, right, at home with my family on, on New Year's Eve, you know, that sort of a thing. But day-to-day, -day, I don't watch much in the way of sports outside of, you know, what I get to see on a daily basis at the high school level. Um, but, you know, and, and at the moment, I don't want to follow my St. Louis Cardinals too closely. Um, I have plenty of people to remind me that they're currently in last place in the division. But, um, you know, you know, when a, when a Cubs fan tells me that I just ask them what, what they would do in that situation, because they have a lot more experience with that than we do. Um, you know, the, the Cardinals lost a, a great member of the Cardinal organization yesterday. Mike Shannon passed away at, um, 84, I believe. Was um, he a broadcaster? I saw that he, he, he was, so he played for the Cardinals and then he was a broadcaster up until the, 2020 season, I believe, um, on the radio, um, you know, St. Louis icon for sure. Um, you know, but, uh, I mean, I, I always have my Cardinal red, um, you know, that, that runs, that runs deep. My, my, my mom actually works for the Cardinals. Um, she's an usher, but, um, you know, like I said, we, we've been Cardinal fans forever. Um, you know, football, American football. Um, I grew up a Cowboys fan, even though from from St. Louis. Um, He's in Dallas. He's in the perfect I, place. So, so Alex, here's another one for you. Um, the head athletic trainer for the Dallas Cowboys, um, Jim Mauer is his name. Yeah, Jim. Jim is a Bishop Lynch grad. Oh, so. Um, so I've met him uh, once. Um, I, I've reached out to him a few times. Um, you know, we, we've interacted a little bit. So again, you know, we talk about networking and having having those types of connections are, are always beneficial um, at, at that level too, right? You know, all the way up um, a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I grew up a Cowboys fan because when I was growing up, the Cowboys were good. Yeah. Um, that's how, that's how long ago that's been. I know this, but, Listen, uh, I hear about it every day, right? Every day, every day somebody's hitting me up. They got cowboy jokes, Mo included. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But, but you know what? It, it, it's, it's, it's for life. I, have, <laughs> I will never change my affiliation. No matter what happens, I'm always there. Um, but yeah. Now earlier you mentioned you don't watch much sports because obviously you're busy you're focused on your kids and stuff like that how much of a challenge is your athletes watching sports seeing what a pro athlete does 
hey, you know, this athlete did this before the game or they wore this. Can I get this? You know, can you do this for me like they did it for them? Like, do you get much of that? You know, we see that a little bit. I see a lot of high school athletic trainers worried about that idea. Um, we see it a little bit. I wouldn't say we see it a ton. Um, but, you know, when when I see somebody who goes, well, so-and-so played, like, let's, let's talk about, you know, Mahomes in the Super Bowl. As a, as a perfect example of coming off that high ankle sprain, right? And a play, you know, one of our athletes goes, well, he got to play after a week. Why can't I? And um, I just remind him that, that, you know, Patrick spent about seven or eight hours a day in the athletic training room getting treatment. And uh, we see you for maybe 15 minutes if we're lucky. So tell you what, you start, you start coming to treatment like they do, and maybe we'll start treating you like them, Right. So, so that's how I kind of um, put a stop to some of that, right? Um, you know, the other thing, too, uh, I know that, you know, the NFL with uh, with Tua this year, again, in Miami for you, Alex, um, you know, that, that was obviously a big, big deal. And, and the concussion management and all of this other stuff, um, mm. you know, and, and they've certainly gotten better, but – I got news for you. I'm not going to take uh, the lead from the NFL when it comes to concussion management um, because they were still allowing players to return to play the same day within the last few years, right? The uh, the uh, fifth consensus statement, I believe, on concussions out of Zurich, um, you know, said nobody should return to play, say, bleh, return to play the same day, um, but it excluded pro athletes from that. Now, if, if you ask from a practical practical standpoint, um, I, I think if you ask most NFL athletic trainers today, you know, their protocols say that that's not happening anymore. Obviously, we know it it has, right? And it, yeah. it does to some extent. Um, and I'm not here to, to Monday morning quarterback any of the athletic trainers, and I think that's really important that we, that we don't do so, right? Um, you know, I, I heard um, I heard a guy speak the other day. He's the director of football rehab at the University of Alabama. Um, you know, again, they, they might know just a little bit there um, from what I hear. Uh, but he was talking about, you know, in college football, in, in the NFL, they, they're playing on, um, you know, fishbowl medicine or, um, you know, big screen medicine, right? They got 100,000 people watching or millions watching, mm -hmm. right? None of the three of us are treating people in that type of environment. And so I think it's it's important that we be careful on judging them as well, in, unless we're prepared to, to live stream and, and upload our patient evals and our patient care onto YouTube for everybody in the world to watch as well, you know? Um, Jeff Allen at the University of Alabama developed the sideliner a few years ago. Uh, that's the sideline tent. Um, you know, at first I thought that that was I uh, I, I thought it was a crazy idea. Um, super expensive. <laughs> it, it it is okay. They're expensive. Uh, we've had one for four years, and and the reason we've had one for four years is I've seen the need for it, right? Because at at our level, even and and people go, well, I don't see a need at the high school level. We're not in front of a hundred thousand people, or you know, whatever. Well, when that when that seventeen year old tears his ACL and it's a season ending injury or or potentially a career ending injury, they have emotions, and it's not fair to that kid for those emotions to be on display for two thousand people or three thousand people or whatever it is uh, that's in the stands. And so I think having you know uh, a creation like the sideline tent. That allows us to take a kid in there. You know, sometimes we got to deliver bad news, let them process that. And then when they're ready to come out and face the world, they can do so. Um, you know, but but I think that one of those reasons that came out was to eliminate that that concept of the fishbowl uh medicine, you know, and, and Jeff Allen says it. You know, you go to the doctor's office, the doctor doesn't evaluate you in the waiting room. You go into a private exam space. 
So why are our high school, college, and professional athletes uh, being treated and, and evaluated in in front of cameras, in front of, you know, again, 100,000 people or, or millions of people on TV? Um, and so, you know, that's that's the way we look at it. And like I said, it's – I think we got about $7,000 invested in this tent by now uh, with all the different accessories and, and different things for it. Um and I think it's worth every penny of it, uh, honestly, for that reason. Uh, so, I, I think so, too. Great, great invention. But you guys are professional. Uh, well, I like trainers who work for professional teams. I believe we're in a tough spot because not only are they being subjected to the opinions of the athlete because their deals depend on them going back out to play or, or not, uh, also the owners and also the fan base because we know how petty they can get. So I think some of them are pressured into making decisions that sometimes compromises their their ethical beliefs. So that's just my take, but I don't know. I'm not an athletic trainer. Now going from one and you know, in the NFL with the concussions, we had another big incident, I think, put a huge spotlight on athletic trainers and the sports medicine team uh, as a whole with the DeMar Hamlin uh, oh. situation in Cincinnati. Absolutely. Uh, you know, now afterwards, you know, thank God he's doing well. He's announced he's going to play again and, and he's been cleared to do so. But you know, it's become very evident that those first seconds to minutes on the field, it seems like what saved his life and what has allowed him to be where he is today. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Just in general, from you know, being an athletic trainer, you see that, and then how do you or can you implement some of that? in your day-to-day with your athletes? And what are some things that maybe some athletic trainers who are watching us today who are getting started at a high school or wherever they may be practicing, what are some steps they can do to try to be in a position to have that kind of an impact? Um, I can tell you right now that my kids, well, my oldest is seven, my youngest will be four. So we're we're quite a bit away from school sports stuff, but they're going to be starting private school. And one of the things that I've already been looking at is they don't have, to my knowledge, and I haven't asked the appropriate people just yet, but they don't have athletic trainers, but they have, you know, they have athletics. Mm -hmm. They don't have athletic trainers, you know? So even me as a PT, like, yes, I did my sports residency. No, I'm not an athletic trainer. Cause my wife was like, well, why don't you go do it? I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm like, it's not that easy. Like I could, I could go on there and on a very, very basic level, but I can't do what you do. Right. Um, but they don't have those things. So in my, okay, by the time he starts getting to that level, like, what do we need to have in place? What does that look like? Yeah. So, um, you know, the Corey Stringer Institute and in university of Connecticut has done an extensive research on sudden death and athletics. Uh, Doug Casa, who's the CEO there, um, will straight up tell you that there's there's four causes of death in athletics that account for over 90% of all catastrophic death. Okay, sudden cardiac arrest is number one by, excuse me, by a lot. Okay, um, so that's that commotio cordis like DeMar Hamlin suffered. But that's also your hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. That's your... Um, long QT syndrome. There's, there's several different things that lead to sudden cardiac arrest. So that's number one. Number two is brain and and neck trauma. Um, Number three is uh, exertional heat stroke. And number four is exertional sickling. And with all four of these cases, um, now brain, brain and spine trauma, I, I find we can treat it, we can do certain things. But I think the the unfortunate reality is that by the time we get there, that that stone's already been cast, right? That player is either going to live or they're going to die. And, and there are certain things we can do, but it's really hard to do it. But if you look at the other three, 
Um, the first 10 minutes are critical, right? Um, in cardiac arrest, every minute they say that you go without oxygen to your brain is approximately a 10% decrease in survival rate. So, so statistically, when you collapse and go into cardiac arrest, you should be dead at the 10 minute mark, right? Okay. Um, we know that out of hospital, cardiac arrest has a survival rate of seven to 10%. That's it. Okay. It's a really small number. Um, if you add somebody with uh, bystander CPR, that number goes up to 50%. If you add an AED, that goes up to 84%. If you add an athletic trainer with an AED, the chance of survival of a sudden cardiac arrest is 90%. Um, so, you know, obviously that, that highlights the importance of, of the athletic trainer, but it also highlights the importance of that AED. And, you know, I said it earlier, doing sports medicine right is expensive, but you can do simple things with relatively low cost items. An AED is going to cost you a thousand bucks, maybe 1500, depending on what you buy. Um, CPR training is very inexpensive. And, and that, I think, is the first step for everybody is doing learning CPR. And we know that CPR, and I, I teach CPR on a regular basis. I tell my students, CPR is easy to learn. It's not so easy to execute. And there's a difference. Okay. Um, but we've demonstrated how easy CPR is. There are videos on YouTube of toddlers performing CPR, okay? Now, they're not, um, those toddlers would not be successful doing it, right? They're, they don't have the strength to, to be successful, but they can go through the steps. And so realistically, we can teach CPR at a, at a really young age, and it's something that they can take with them the rest of their lives. So that's number one, and that doesn't have to cost money. The AED, like I said, is a thousand bucks, fifteen hundred bucks, but that thing's gonna last about ten years, so it's not it's not a crazy expense. Um, when we talk about exertional heat stroke, um, again, Dr. Koss has treated over two thousand heat strokes in his career. Um, every one of them, if they can get that temperature down under one hundred two uh, within the first thirty minutes, that person survives and normally goes home that day. Okay. Uh, heat stroke happens with CNS dysfunction and a uh, body temp greater than 105. So if we can get that body temp down from, from above 105, whatever it is, 106, 107, 109, um, down to 102 in, in that 30-minute window, they have a really, really good chance of survival. That requires a cold tub. They're 100 bucks at, at um, you know a local farm store. It doesn't have to be expensive. Um, and then the other – the Big, big key is the emergency action plan. And, and here's the great thing about an emergency action plan. It's free. All you got to do is spend a little time and write it. And if you go on the Corey Stringer website, they have templates that you can take and you can make your own in a few minutes. But not only writing an emergency action plan, but practicing it and being able to execute it. And, and again, it's it's sad that um, it took Demar Hamlin collapsing on Monday Night Football for people to wake up, right? Um, I don't know if you saw there was an outside the lines uh, ESPN story of um, uh, probably came out in February, I think, um, of a player, a soccer player from uh, Northern Kentucky, literally miles away from the Bengals Stadium where Demar Hamlin collapsed at. Um, this soccer player collapsed and died. Um, there was an emergency action plan. It wasn't well written. There was an athletic trainer on campus. They didn't execute properly. The coaches didn't execute properly. There was an AED 50 yards away. Nobody went and got it. The, the, kid, the kid did not receive a shock from an AED until EMS arrived almost 13 minutes later. And, and he died. Um, unfortunately, um, so we can do all the right things, but if we don't do the right things in that moment, 
it doesn't matter, right? Um, but, you know, I, I would love to be able to say that every youth sporting event, every club sporting event, every high school event has an athletic trainer. We know that's not feasible, but having an AED available should be feasible and having basic life-saving skills. If you're a coach and you don't have that, shame on you. If you're a parent and you don't have CPR skills, shame on you. I, I think that's really something that we have to drill home. Um, you know, again, I'd like to say that every, you know, every school needs to have an athletic trainer or more, right. Or more. Um, but I, I know that there are some schools that that'll just simply never happen. Um, but we, we have to take the small steps that we can. And, and like I said, that's, that's learning CPR. That's, that's teaching CPR. Um, you know, in my environment, I don't have the ability to have 30 healthcare providers on the field uh, with the emergency action plan that the National Football League has or the National Hockey League. Uh, the two of those leagues have two of the strongest policies as it relates to emergency action plans out of all um, athletics. And, and we'll talk about most soccer for a second, who has some of the worst emergency action plans. If you ever watch any of it, um, you know, they, they did have that soccer player, what, two years ago that collapsed on the field? Uh, Christian something. I, I don't remember his last name. He plays for uh, Manchester United now. He's from Denmark. Okay. And, and again, they, they did everything right there, and he survived, right? Um, but you see lots of videos. If you go on YouTube and you see the stretcher fails and all this other stuff, um, you know, from, from soccer, um, you know, it – it just blows my mind sometimes. Or um, in soccer, we talk about the magic spray. Um, I, I had a I had a guidance counselor asking me about the magic spray again today. You know, he just thinks it's the most hilarious thing ever, right? <laughs> so, you know, you have all that. Like I said, we don't have those resources to to have what the NFL has, um, but we have resources to do some some pretty uh, pretty amazing things. Uh, we did have a cardiac arrest on our campus uh, six years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I said before that happened that if someone was going to have a cardiac arrest outside of a hospital, that our campus was the place for that to happen. Um, and and we proved that that day. OK, uh, there was a nurse came came running down uh, a nurse and a, and a nursing student. They started CPR in under a minute. Um, I got there. Right after they did, you know, we got an AED, had it applied in under two minutes. Um, you know, our goal is is to have that AED on and running in about two to two and a half minutes. Um, really, you know, really within three, you're in pretty good shape, ideally. Um, he was conscious at six minutes and EMS showed up around eight, around the eight minute mark, um, you know, and, and, and he survived and, and has moved on with his life, right? Um, so I said that, you know what, we, we have resources, um, that, that make our campus safe. We don't have NFL resources, but we're going to have every resource that we possibly can at our level. Um, and, and whether that's from that emergency equipment, uh, personnel with, you know, we don't, we don't put an athletic trainer on, on campus for a game. We put an athletic trainer on site. Um, and, and that's, you know, not everybody has that luxury, but, uh, DeMar Hamlin again shows why that's so important because that athletic trainer started CPR within 25 seconds and, and knew that there was a problem within 10, right? Well, if I got to come from the other side of campus, I'm losing valuable time. Um, you know, we, uh, we have a physician on site for football games. We have EMS on site for varsity football games. Um, we have a great relationship with the Dallas Fire Department, which is our 911 provider. Um, you know, and and we have a great relationship with our school nurse. That that's also important. Uh, but we also have a relationship with physical therapists. And and um, you know, we uh, you know, like I said, I used to work for PT clinic and hated it. I hated that model, the way it the way it functioned. Um, I have I have a relationship with PTs now, and I love it. Right. Because I can send I can 
I can send a kid to physical therapy that I think needs to go to physical therapy. Whereas when I was hired by the physical therapy company, I was expected to send patients Everybody's going. to physical therapy, right? Okay. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, we've got a, we've got a dad who, um, who uh, is a physical therapist and he's at our stuff all the time and he's always willing to help. But like you said, Alex, he also knows that there are some things he simply can't do. Um, and he's good with that. Right. So he's here to help when we need it. And he's here to stay out of the way when we don't. And, and that's kind of the way he tells it to us too. Um, you know, but you know, I tell people all the time, do I need a doctor on Friday night? No. I mean, I can do my job, right? I do it every day. Do I need EMS on site every day? No, not, or, you know, on a, on a Friday night? No. I mean, again, I can do my job. I've, I've worked without it before, but having those people there, having the doctor there, having EMS there, um, you know, it makes us better as a team and, and it, it allows us to provide a higher level of, of medical care that, you know, like I said, that our, our athletes deserve. Um, our athletes aren't pro athletes. Some of them might go on to become pro athletes. Um, you know, some of them will go on to college athletics. Some of them, they'll, they'll see better healthcare at our high school than they will at the college level. Um, unfortunately, and, and that's the reality. Um, and so, you know, I don't get into this. Well, the pro athlete got that care, but you're just a high school athlete. No, if that's something that's going to help them, and that's something I can do, then we want to do it mm-hmm. now, again. That's within reason, within resources, obviously, but forget about what level we're at and let's just take care of our kids the best way we can. I agree. Definitely agree. Mike, really, really appreciate your time, bud. Um, it's been awesome. Got to, you know, had some good laughs, good information. Um, and, and obviously, you know, like you said, let, like let's treat every athlete like they are a professional athlete because they deserve that kind, that standard of care. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and when if we can provide it, then we we really should be doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show with us. Um, you know, good luck with, you know, spring football and all that as you get into summer and the fall, man, I know you're a busy man. So thank you again, uh, as always to all our followers, uh, like share favorite retweet on, um, subscribe on YouTube and, uh, thank you very much. Everybody have a wonderful evening. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks Mike.